verses as we think about praying for our children. In verse 4, verse 2 tells us that the man Job had seven sons and three daughters. And in verse 4, it tells us that his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day. Now, we don't know what that his day meant in that culture. It very likely could have been a celebration of their birthday. There's no indication that this is some kind of wild parties going on, any kind of wickedness, or they just get together. It's a family get-together, much like most of us knew growing up when all the family, boy, when it's time for the family, sometimes it was on Sunday after, after church, other times it was at holidays, and the family would gather. And so they gathered together to celebrate each one his day. And sent, and they called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning. And he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, look at this phrase, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Job continually prays for the spiritual well-being of his sons. Now, these are adult sons. These are not children in the sense of little, small children. But it's the same burden that we have for our children. The burden that we have is that we know that what is on the outside is not always a clear reflection of what's on the inside. Job looks at his children, and there seems to be no outward sinfulness. But notice what he says. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart. The Bible has already told us that Job is a man of integrity, and what Job is on the outside, he is on the inside. On the outside, he is on the inside. And so Job is concerned about this for his children. We have the same burden. You have the same burden for your children. We want to make sure that what they appear to be on the outside, they are genuinely. And sometimes that's not always the same. Unfortunately, that's not true for adults when we come to church, and sometimes what we see on the outside is not always what's going on on the inside. There was a little girl one time who had been misbehaving, and her mom put her in her chair, and she said, I want you to sit over here, and I want you to think about how you've acted, and when you think you can behave, you can get up. And she looked over in a minute, and the little girl had this little screwed-up look on her face, just sort of scrunched up, and she said, Honey, what's the matter? She said, Mom, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. I think that's true a lot of times in our lives. But it's certainly true, and that's what Job's burden and concern is. Let me pause a minute and say that this is not just for our children by birth or by marriage or by adoption or by fostering. It's not just the immediate children immediate in our family. It is for grandchildren. It is for those that God has brought into your life and you have a measure of influence. It might be that you're a Sunday school teacher and God has brought around you some children or some students or you're a small group leader in our student ministry. Or it may just be that there's someone that's close to your family. It's a friend, a niece, a nephew, a neighbor. Any child that God has brought into our lives and given us some measure of influence over or influence with that we can use that as a way to speak grace into their life and to pray for them 
Every member of our church, whether you are single or married, or maybe you're a senior and you don't have your, your grandchildren or children close around, and maybe you need to be uh, a surrogate grandparent, an adoptive grandparent for some child, or there's every single one of us, this truth is for us this morning. Let me just interject here just for a moment. that There is a principle in Scripture that I, I call surrogate, scripture, surrogate spiritual parenting. See, it's not as easy to say as it is to think it. Surrogate spiritual parenting. And that is that oftentimes in a child's life, their parent, who is their biological parent or their family parent, who should be the spiritual influence, who should be the one who is taking this spiritual responsibility, does not do so. And there's a need for another adult, a Christian adult, to have a Titus II ministry in their life where a, an older man teaches a younger man or an older woman speaks truth to a younger woman. An example of this is Timothy and Paul. We know from Scripture that Timothy's mother and grandmother were godly women. And in fact, they taught Timothy the Scripture that made him wise unto salvation when the time came for him to understand the gospel. But his father was an unbeliever. And so the time came when Paul became what he would refer to as Timothy's father, spiritual father. He says, Timothy is my son in the faith. And so he stepped in and became for Timothy what his physical, biological father could not and would not be. And there is a place for, in a church family, for those of any, any godly adult, any spiritually minded adult, who will be willing to pour into the lives of the children around them and the students around them. And we often see that take place. That's what... That's what I'm talking about this morning when we talk about praying for our children. And you may look around and say, I, I don't personally have children. There are children to pray for. There are children to care about. So this task is for all of us. As we pray for our children, and I say that as a church, I want you to see several things this morning. I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you some negatives to pray against. Okay, But I don't want to dwell on the negatives. I want to give you some things that we can pray for. So let's very quickly look at five things, five dangers that we can pray for our children to, be a, to avoid. The first that we need to pray for them about is to pray against the danger of religious familiarity. Religious familiarity. What happens when someone grows up in church, and most of us who are adults know this very well, we know our role so well that we can perform it, we can act it out perfectly without having anything on the inside. We know how to go through the motions. Most of us who were raised in church, we learned pretty quickly what to say, what not to say, what terminology to use. Sometime back, not just not too long back, I had a conversation with a person that I knew as a young as a child and I knew that they were in church then, but I wondered, where are they now spiritually? I knew where they were physically. I kept up with them a little bit, and I heard some conversation, and to hear them talk, I thought, well, they must still be in church. They must still be close to God. They must still be walking with God because they used some terminology, and they could even, they could even quote some scriptures, and they could say some things that sounded spiritual. But then as I began to get to know a little more about the situation, I found out they're living a life of sin. They don't even profess to follow Christ anymore. They don't go to church, but they can still talk enough churchianity. And let me tell you that this isn't just when you become an adult. 
there is a danger for each of us when we are still in church that we know how to act on the outside, but there's not inward transformation. We need to pray that our children will avoid the danger of religious familiarity. There's a Bible illustration of this. Do you remember the story of Eli and his two sons? Eli was the priest of Israel. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they served in the temple. They led in worship. They were the leaders in Israel, spiritual leaders. But the Bible says that they were men of Belial. They were wicked, vile men. And their actions, they committed, they committed adultery and fornication with women in the congregation. They stole from the offerings and the sacrifices that were brought. They were wicked people. And because of them, God brought judgment on the nation. And He brought judgment on their family. And He brought judgment on their father. And they brought judgment, He brought judgment on them. On the outside, they knew how to go through the motions. They knew all the ways to provide a sacrifice and to offer a sacrifice. And they knew how to lead in worship. And they knew what it looked like. The danger of religious familiarity. Here's the second danger we need to pray for our children. And that is the danger of social corruption. The danger of social corruption. We live in a society that not only tolerates iniquity, but it promotes it. It makes it easily accessible. It makes it so common. And it's not only presented as common, we are told that it must be celebrated. And our children are hearing this. Our children are, children are raised in an environment when sin is lauded and applauded. And they hear these things. And not only are they exposed to sinfulness, they are exposed to wrong kinds of thinking. Sometimes we're so saturated in our culture that we're not even aware of what we're hearing and what we're seeing. Sometime back I sat down with Dylan and we were watching a, a television program and we watched the first episode of it and we got through and I said, what do you think about that? We began to discuss this particular episode, this particular story. And it was a clean show. I, I, I remember the time when the way that Christians evaluated whether you watched something or not, not was based on how many, how many bad languages it had. Well, you know, that's pretty good. There was, only, there was only two in that show. Boy, now if you can find one with two, you're doing good. And we sat and we watched it and there was no profanity in it. But I said... What did you notice about that story? And the whole story questioned the reality of God. It cast Christians in the light of hypocrites. It undermined any sense of objective truth. And the whole thing was flawed with wrong thinking. And I thought, how much of our culture are we sitting and consuming and we're receiving? And it's, a, it's changing the way we're thinking. And it's touching our students' lives and our children's lives and their minds. And we have to be so careful and we need to pray that our children are not contaminated by the culture that is around them, the society that is around them. A biblical example that I think of that comes to mind is Lot's family. You remember the story of Lot? Abraham says we can't live in the same place, so we're going to split, we're going to divide the land. And Lot goes down and lives near a place called Sodom. And before you know it, he, he pitched his tent towards Sodom, but then he moves into Sodom. You see, that's the way it always goes with this social corruption. You start, you start leaning that way, and before you know it, he's in the city. 
And he's not only in the city, the Bible says he's seated in the gate, a place of authority. He is in a place of leadership. They have so accepted him, and Lot has so accepted Sodom that he is a part of their leadership. And his family has been completely caught in social corruption. When it comes time to flee from Sodom, his children looked at him as he said, we've got to flee, God's going to judge this city. And they mocked. He seemed to them as one that mocked. They wouldn't listen to him. His two daughters and his wife flee with him, but his wife has been so caught up that she looks back and turns to a pillar of salt. And his two daughters go, and the next part of that story is so horrendous and so terrible that I I won't even speak it to it. The younger ones here this morning, but you know, if you know the story of Genesis, you know the wickedness and vileness that had contaminated that family because they lived in a society and a culture that was accepting of those kind of things, and they became a part of that, the danger of social corruption. We need to pray for our children. We need to pray for our students. And let me just pause at this moment to say that our prayers for our children do not end when they hit 18. Our burden only deepens. Our heart for them only deepens and increases as we pray for them. We pray for them for the danger of social corruption. Here's a third one, the danger of foolish behavior. Now let's face it, we all do stupid things. Can I get an amen on that? How many of you have ever done anything? How many of you did something as a child or as a teenager that you could wish you could go back and change, you could regret? Can we get both hands up? Am I I right that we did some foolish things? We need to pray that God will protect. Our kids are no exceptions. I look back at some of the things that I did, and I didn't do crazy sinful things, but man, we did some, we just did some dumb stuff. And you can get yourself into trouble real quick by just simply foolishness. We need to pray that God will protect. Wouldn't be a bad idea to make that same request for ourselves, would it? biblical example of this is a man by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of the wisest man in the Bible, a man by the name of Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man, the Bible says, far exceeded anybody in his day. He wrote a book on wisdom for his son. You read through through Proverbs and it's, my son, my son, my son. The things that he heard from his father, David, he passed on to his son. And the wisest man that ever lived had a fool for a son. And as soon as Rehoboam becomes king, he acts foolishly and divides the nation because of his foolishness. We need to pray against the danger of foolish behavior. Number four, here's our fourth negative prayer, praying against. Pray against the danger of persuasive friends. The danger of persuasive friends. Thank God for friends. Friends are a blessing from God. But the saying is old, but it's true. Bad company corrupts good manners. Most of us could probably think back to a time in our life when we would not have done something foolish that we did if we hadn't been persuaded by the people around us. Foolish friends, persuasive friends, from sex to drugs to crime. Sometimes good kids do things they would never 
otherwise have done if they hadn't been talked into it by their friends. One of the most horrific stories in the Bible is David's son, Amnon. Amnon commits a terrible act against his half-sister, Tamar. But the phrase that stands out in that story is this. Amnon had a friend. This friend is actually his cousin. And this cousin calls Amnon to him and says, this is what you should do. And he lays out details of what Amnon should do. And Amnon acts on it. And he brings death on himself. He brings dishonor on his family and on his, especially on his sister, an act of aggression that is so vile and terrible that the judgment comes because of what Amnon does. And it starts with Amnon had a friend. We need to pray that God will protect our children from persuasive friends. My parents, as I was growing up, are what some people would call legalistic. I, I call it just strict because I know their heart was not where legalism takes your heart. One of the things they were very strict about was who we were friends with, who we spent time with, who we hung out with. And I remember people thinking they were overboard, but I bless my parents and I thank God for the care that they took in the voices they allowed to be speaking into our lives. I have seen far too many people drawn into sin and into things that they regret because of persuasive friends. Fifth danger that is true really for all of us, we need to pray about the danger of sinful flesh. Beyond all the outward influences, beyond the persuasive friends, beyond our culture, every person is born as, with a sinful nature. Every one of us is born with sinful tendencies, and we're drawn to that. We have inclinations. We have tendencies in our lives. I've, I've heard people say things like this. Their child will be in a situation of temptation, and they'll say, but I trust my child. Let me tell you, we can trust our children to be human. And you put the right person in the right place in the right situation, and they'll do exactly what every one of us would do, and they will sin. We need to pray that they are not caught in the pull of their sinful flesh. Only one person that has walked this planet ever withstood all temptation, and his name wasn't mine or yours. It was Jesus Christ. We need to pray about the danger of sinful flesh. But beyond praying against these dangers, those are the negative things. What are some things we can pray for them? Let me quickly give you four things, and I'm going to close. Four things that we should pray for our children and our students, family and in our church. Number one, pray for them to have a genuine spiritual relationship. Pray for them to have a genuine spiritual relationship. Not just come to church. Look, I'm so glad when folks come to church. But you can walk through the door every single Sunday. But if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it won't do you a bit of good. So we need to pray, Lord, help my child, help our children, help the children in our children's ministry, help the students in our student ministry to not just look good on the outside, but to have a genuine spiritual relationship. Look, when I was growing up, I was in church, I was in church so much, it was... It was sad. 
It wasn't sad. I mean, I was at one point we were in we were in services fifty six straight days. And some of y'all want to complain about coming for one hour on Sunday. Sissies. At the end of the 56 days, my brother asked my mom, he was about five or six at the time, he said, Mama, where are we going to church tonight? She said, uh, we're not, we have the night off. He said, well, hallelujah. <laughs> so I was in church a lot, but that didn't do me a bit of good. I'm grateful that I was put toward and challenged to know Christ for myself. I would never get into heaven because my parents were Christians. God doesn't have grandchildren. Each one of us needs to be his child. We need to know him personally. And we need to pray that for our children. Not that they just follow in our steps and be part of a Baptist church or be Christian. But that they know Christ personally. Number two, pray for them to have godly wisdom. Pray for them to have godly wisdom, whether it's their actions or their words or their relationships. They need the wisdom of God. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Let's pray that they will have godly wisdom, not the wisdom of this earth that brings punishment and brings danger and brings wrath. God's wisdom, they desperately need it. We need it. Number three, pray for them to grow spiritually into mature followers of Christ to grow spiritually into mature followers of Christ. Not just to be saved while they're on their way to heaven, but to grow into Christ's likeness, to mature, to become like Jesus Christ. That should be, that should be our greatest desire far beyond any other desire we have for our children. I know when we have kids, we have dreams for them. We have things we want them to accomplish. We have things we want them to do. We have, we have a, an idea of, well, this is what they might look like. There's nothing wrong with having those unless they take the place of this one thing, that they will know Jesus and be like Jesus. I've told my sons, and I've tried, there's times in my life I have to remind myself of this, I don't, I don't care what you do in this life as long as it's legal and moral. What I do, matter, do care about is that you walk with Jesus, that you walk with Him. I don't care what occupation you're in. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what your education looks like. Yes, goals, desires, all of those things. But all of that doesn't matter if you don't walk with Christ. That should be our prayer. Number four, pray for God to show you ways to be a spiritual parent. To be a spiritual parent, to disciple the children that God has placed in your life. Your children and their children, nieces, nephews, neighbors, Sunday school class, small group, person who sits across the aisle from you at church, any, whatever child God has brought into your life, pray for God to use you. Think of my dad's life as a young man. His father was murdered when he was two. His mother never remarried, so he was, uh, lived in a, a single-parent household for his essentially his entire life. But there were two men 
One was his uncle. Every summer, he would go and work on the farm with his uncle and six, six son, his six sons, six cousins, and they would work on the farm. And the influence that my Uncle Emmett had on my dad's life, the spiritual influence, was a powerful thing. When he got into high school, there was another man who became a mentor and a friend to him that was a little bit older than him and poured into him. He didn't have a physical father to be that spiritual father, but he had some godly men in his life who would step in and say, I'm going to be, I'm going to be that for this young man. I fully believe that one day those two men will stand before God and they will get rewards, they will get honor for every soul that has gotten saved under my dad's ministry. Every time he's preached and God has worked, those two men will see reward for that. Why? Because they were willing to, to be a parent for that young man. And God can use you to, to do the same thing. Whether you're married, single, senior citizen, young, whatever, God can use you. Pray for that. This should be the prayer burden of every adult believer. It may be, Paul, or Job said, that they will sin. But if they do, let's make sure that it happens in spite of everything that we did, not because it. We believe in the power of prayer, don't we? How many of you believe in the power of prayer? That's why we pray for our children. I could stand here this morning and tell you numerous stories of people that were transformed, protected, changed by the prayers of their parents. I will tell you this one. I didn't even really have it in my notes, but it comes to my mind. There used to be an evangelist some years ago by the name of Oliver Green. Any of y'all ever hear Oliver Green? Some of you older know, preached on the radio, I believe he still may be on some radio stations, recordings before he passed some years ago, preached tent revivals all around North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, South Carolina, have personally encountered over the years as we would go into churches for a revival, numerous people that were saved under his means and were still in faithful years later serving God in the church. When Oliver Green was a teenager, he was a wild young man, and his mother prayed faithfully for him. He drank, he was a bootlegger, that goes back a few years, did all sorts of just living wild and partying. There came a night when he was going to go to a local store because the, he felt like the man who was the owner of the store, he was a friend but he felt like he could get in there and get some money to spend on, on booze and alcohol. and So he was going to go down and sneak down, sneak in, rob the register, and get out very quickly. He felt like he could do it. What he didn't know was that that store had been robbed previously for several nights. And so he sneaked down to the store. He left his mother at home in bed, or he thought in bed. And he got down to this store and hid in the bushes to watch to see when he could, he could sneak in. As he was hiding in the bushes, he heard something come up behind him, and he turned and looked over his shoulder, and it was the owner of the store with a shotgun. You can imagine the chill 
that went over him. And he turned and he looked at the guy and he said, Oliver, I'm glad you're here. I've come to watch my store. Somebody's been robbing me every night. And when he comes tonight, I'm going to catch him. Well, Oliver Green, man, he just... He just so he said he, he couldn't leave. Obviously wasn't going to rob the store. And so he stayed there in the bushes with this guy and they just talked and said he just... He said he was glad it was dark because if he'd have seen, he said if he'd have seen the look on my face, he'd have known what I was up to. I'd have given myself away. They sat there through the night, and just about the time the sun was coming up, the man said, well, Oliver, I guess we can head home. I guess he's not coming back tonight. <sighs> Sigh of relief. The man left, and Oliver went home again, just, just shaking, just that close just five minutes different, and he would have been at the door when that man showed up with his shotgun. He got to his house, and he walked in the door. The lamp in the living room was on, and as he walked in, he saw through the window, he saw his mother kneeling by her chair, praying. She'd been praying all night long. And as he walked in, he heard her praying, Oh, God, please protect my son. He's away from you. He needs you. And he's going to end up getting killed, but please protect him until you can save him. He walked in the door, fell on his knees and hugged his mama. That was just one. That was not the only night that she spent in prayer for him. Because of her prayers, he came to know Christ as his Savior. God called him to preach, and he's responsible for hundreds of people who came to Christ through his preaching through the gospel. What happened? The power of a parent, a mother, who prayed for her son. Listen to me carefully, folks. Prayer has power. God answers our prayers. And if there's no other reason why we ought to pray for our children, we ought to pray because God hears and God answers. Will you bow with me for prayer this morning? We're going to have a verse of invitation. But this morning, I know there's some who are burdened about your children. You're burdened about some maybe who are wayward. You're, you're burdened about some who are making decisions that you wish you know they shouldn't make. They're not making wise decisions. Maybe there's someone in your life that's just, they're just starting out and they've not made wrong decisions. You just care. You care about their soul. You want them to know Christ. How long has it been since you've prayed for the children in your life. This morning, I want to invite you to come and gather around this altar. You can stand or kneel. You can sit on one of these front seats that are open. And let's call out to God for the hearts and the souls and the minds of our children. Father, speak to us, we